Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan West, bringing you guys another episode here, telling you all like I always do. Thank you for being a part of the work we're doing. If you've been with us for any length of time, then you know what we're all about here. We're here to help you men live on mission in their marriage. And today is our Theology on Thursday episode. It's Theology on Thursday, and we're going through... If, you, if you're new to us here, welcome. I appreciate you stopping by. Uh, we're going through the book of Proverbs this month because I kind of got a sense from the whole COVID thing that we needed some wisdom. We needed some clarity. We're millennials. We, 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 we need that old time wisdom. And so what we're going through right now is kind of a spinoff of that on Theology on Thursday. Last week, we talked about what, uh, why God made sex. Okay. And the reason for that is because in Proverbs, we've kind of gotten into, you know, staying away from the adulteress, staying away from the woman that is the prostitute, the woman that tempts you, the woman that causes you to not be faithful to your wife. And so we got on a conversation about that and about the creation mandate and about the reason again, why God created male and female and the sexual union. And so I got a lot of feedback from you guys that you wanted to hear kind of more about that. And so this episode today is what went wrong with sex. And so we're going to have, you know, a series going on with these theology on Thursdays. Last week was why God made sex. This week is what went wrong with sex. And, and next Thursday will be how can we make what's wrong right with sex. So. And I touched a little bit on that the last week, but I wanted to get into this one this week. OK, so. Again, last week we talked about why God made sex, okay? And that's because fundamentally God is a creative individual. And so he created creative individuals when he made us in his image. And so he made us male and female and gave us the charge to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. That is what theologians call the creation mandate. The creation mandate basically is the first great commission, what a lot of folks call that. And uh, the reason that it's called that is because it's it's talking about child rearing. It's talking about sex. It's talking about the reason for it. And fundamentally, not the only reason, right, because we, we know about Song of Solomon from last week, but the fundamental reason why sex is invented is so that we can multiply God's image on earth and so that the marriage between a husband and a wife can be intimate and loving and pleasurable, just like the relationship that the church has with their husband, Jesus Christ. And so today we talk about what went wrong with sex, what went wrong with that union. And so we find ourselves back in Genesis today. And so what went wrong? Well, the, the first thing that went wrong was that the created order was completely inverted. Everything changed. Nothing was exactly what it was meant to be. And so we see we see in Genesis one, we see kind of a. And so let me back up here. Genesis one and Genesis two. A lot of people, a lot of professors in college will try to say, oh, these are two different accounts. That means that God made two sets of humans and you maybe could interpret it that way, except I don't know how you could because we know how movies work. Right. And we know that movies a lot of times use what's called telescope time. And telescope time is that thing whenever in movies, whenever you see something happen, but it, it moves so quick, right? It moves on to the next day and you don't really see the in-between story, right? The same thing is happening here. Genesis 1, we get telescope time. We get God made the whole earth and then he made man and woman and there's that. 
but we don't get a close in zoomed in snapshot on what that really looks like. And so Genesis two is that for us? That's a zoomed in picture on what happens, not just with the man and woman, but specifically what happens with Adam and Eve. And so in Genesis two, God is creating the order. We see that he's given this order um, or sorry, he's given the task of ordering the earth to Adam in his specific garden. He says that he wants him to keep the garden, to work it, to name all the animals that are in this paradise of Eden. And that signifies Adam's ability to have dominion. Because remember, the creation mandate is to fill the earth and subdue it, right? To have dominion over it. And so to have dominion over something means that you're ultimately responsible for it. And so God gives that to Adam for these creatures and for the garden and for whatever else he names. And then God allows Adam to fall asleep. He opens up his ribs and brings forth woman, but she doesn't have that name yet. He just, God just brings this female to Adam and says, Adam, what do you, what do you call that? This is the helper I made for you. What, what do you call that? And he calls her woman because she was taken out of man. And she's also called Eve because she will be the life bringer. The, the, the ability that man has to fill cannot be done without Eve. A man can't fill the earth with God's images unless he has sex with a woman. So that's the reason for Eve. That's the helper made suitable for Adam. So where a lot of Christians get hung up, they get a little upset, they get a little beside themselves. And they say, well, why does Adam have to be the head of the family? Why not Eve? You know, it makes more sense anyway that she would be since she brings forth life. And, the, you know, we could debate that. Me and you could have that conversation probably until we get called home into heaven. Or we could trust God and trust his design and that it's good. Why should we trust it? Because we know that the marriage, again, from what we talked about last week, we know that the marriage, the one flesh union that is based on sexual intimacy experienced by one man and one woman is a metaphor. It is a symbol, okay, of the relationship that Jesus Christ has with his church. The church does not have primary responsibility over Jesus, we do not name Jesus. We do not move Jesus. Jesus moves us. Jesus is our leader, right? The same is true with God's design for husband and wife. Now, what, 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 we, what we struggle with, because we live in a post-sexual revolution, post-feminist era, we have a problem because what we hear when we hear male leadership is that male dominance or we hear that men are more uh, capable, that men are more intelligent and, and, and we don't receive that order in the same way because of our context. And what we have to do, gentlemen, is we have to take away the mindset that the world has cultivated in us we have to take that away, remove that, and look at what the word of God says for what it is and do our best to rightly divide it, do our best to study it. Look, I'm going to just say this as a caveat. If anything I say on here, if you can't find foundation in the word of God for what I say, then don't listen to me. I 
am trying to explain this from the word of God. And just so should anybody that's uh, trying to do something that's biblically based. They need to be founded in the word of God, period. Okay, so if I say anything that sounds funny, check it with scripture and call me out on it. I'm, I'm, I am happy to have that conversation. I really am. Um, but so the, getting back to the example, the relationship that men and women have is a metaphor for Christ and his church. We lead our wives not because we're more capable, but because God has a specific design and a specific role and a specific way in which he wants to tell the story, his story, by the way, on the way things are to go. And so we have to take that context out of our minds and understand that it's not, we're not called to lead our wives because we're more capable. We're called to lead our wives because we're playing a role. We're playing an example. We're playing a metaphor. And so what I think is so interesting about this story is that we've got Adam and Eve and Adam is the head over Eve. Eve and Adam are the head over the rest of creation and God is the head over them both. Okay. What we have in this story is so, and I, ne- I never caught this until I read it, is so reversed because what happens is the serpent, the serpent is a beast and we know it's Satan. So Satan has taken on the form of the serpent. Um, we see the serpent come to the woman, Eve, to tempt her. And we can see right there that he's Satan is doing a full on assault on God's created order in which he's created the universe. So let me explain that. The serpent who should be subject to the husband and wife, the man and the woman, is now leading the wife away from her husband and away from God. And the wife who should be subject to her husband under his leadership is now falling into sin with Satan. And then the husband who should be subject to God is now being led away from the Lord to his wife from the serpent. Do you see that? Again, let me let me let me give that for you again. God is the head of the man and the woman. Okay? But God gives leadership and direction to the man. The man then you know explains that leadership and direction to his wife, and the husband and wife rule over the beasts of the field. Instead, Satan became a beast in the field to tempt the woman to then tempt the man or actually cause the man to sin and completely left God out of the equation. You see where I'm going with this? This whole thing led to the fall. It led to the curse. And now this curse has become a battle of the sexes. This is why we are asking questions on who really needs to be leading the family. Right? Sinful, sinful woman you know, if she does not come to the, uh, the the redemption of Christ, will use her femininity, will use her words to control or try to manipulate a man into doing what she wants. And a sinful man will passively accept this control and manipulation and, and on one hand and then become a complete tyrant and, and potential wife abuser. Right. One mistake, 
one abdication of Adam's leadership responsibilities led to the destruction of a beautiful sexual union that God had ordained from the beginning of time because he was standing there with his hands in his pockets. It wasn't really pockets because they didn't have pants. They were naked, but they were naked and not ashamed. So it wasn't really hands in pockets, but you see where I'm going with this. And so in that instance, all hell broke loose. And so that leads me to my second point. After that happened, after the foundational sexual union of man and woman was assaulted, God's design was assaulted, all hell broke loose. And sexual perversion throughout the entire Bible, and you can go through and read, you can read there are tons of accounts of sexual perversion that come there. Um, there's there's polygamy that happens. There's prostitution that happens. There's homosexuality that happens. There's pedophilia that happens. There's there's all manner of sexual perversion that happens after that instance. And so the question then becomes right, because now that we've our eyes have been opened, now that we've put God on the chopping block. Right. Because we're still asking that question. You remember that question? Satan asked it. He asked Eve. He said, you know, did, did God really say, did God really say that you weren't supposed to eat from this? Oh, come on. He's just, he's old school. He's old school. Look, if you eat from this, you will be like God. You will be wise, knowing good and evil, right? And they were already like God anyway, but he kind of just, wanted to spice things up. He kind of wanted to add a little truth to it. See, that's the thing about Satan is that he always adds a little truth to it to kind of entice you in a way. But so when we got to that place that Satan tempted us and all sexual perversion now, because now, now it's in question. Now the question is, is well, is, did God really say we needed to be man, married anyway? You know, why do men need to lead in the marriages? I mean, clearly they're just passive and, and blaming and shaming anyway, because you remember that's what Adam did. You know, God came. He came to Adam. He said, Adam, where are you? Where you at? And Adam was like, I'm here. You know, and he's, he's covering up himself or whatever. And, and he said, I was ashamed because I was naked. And then God's like, who told you you were naked? <laughs> I always think that's, I always think that's funny. But he comes at him. God asks him, questions him, what, what have you done? And Adam said, it's that woman you gave me. She had me eat the fruit. So, at the, so he blames Eve and passively, passively approaches God and says, it's not my fault. It's, it's your fault and her fault. All right? And so that's the question. Why do men need to lead anyway if they're just passive and blaming? Why even get married? Let's just have sex with as many women as, as we want to with no commitment attached to it. It's what some of our, some of the men ask. Some women may ask, why marry just one woman? I'm sorry, so some men may ask, why marry just one woman? Some women may ask, why marry just one man? Some people may ask, why not marry someone of the same sex? And on and on and on the questioning goes because now... Now, in our minds, we don't trust God because we think that we have the answers. 
We think that we can figure out the best way to live life. We think that we have a better design than God. And so in our day, those questions are disguised in politics and and cultural things. But the reality is, is that these are spiritual issues. Right. This and, and this is talked about the sexual perversion in man as a spiritual issue fundamentally. Right. When you when you go through and fast forward to the New Testament, to Romans one, Paul is describing a sexual revolution that happened in Rome and that they were dealing with and God's decision to let them run free in that. And so you may be asking the question, man, Jonathan, why would why would God allow that to happen? Why would God allow them to run free and do whatever they wanted to do? God is patient. God is kind. But God will not contend with rebellious people over and over and over again. So Romans talks about God giving them up to what they call debased minds. A debased mind is a mind that can't that can't fathom wisdom, that can't fathom goodness, that can't see it. That mind doesn't want to see it. Because that mind has consistently rejected the creator and worshipped the creature, has has focused more on the mirror and less on the window. The point that I'm trying to draw here is they focus less on God and more on themselves and more of what they wanted to do, not what God wanted them to do. You know, Paul says that they would even call themselves wise, and they, but they became fools. Why? Because they saw the work of God in creation, but refused to humble themselves before him and receive saving faith. They were stuck. They were stuck in the curse. They were stuck in the curse that Adam and Eve had brought on all of us. And that is to consistently question God and to not have the fear of God in their hearts. And so what I want to say to wrap this up is that, gentlemen, when we refuse to bow the knee and accept the design and the role that we've been given as husbands, we were created to lead our families we were designed to do that, right? When, again, I, I want to say this. It's not because we're really good at everything around the house. No, 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 no. We were designed by the power of God to rest in God on the ability to lead our families to God. That's what I mean fundamentally. When we refuse to accept that, we leave a big hole a huge leadership hole in our households and something's gonna feel that gentlemen and if you don't feel it again if you don't feel it empowered by God to lead your family you will if you if you if you feel it and you're not led by God you'll lead them astray if you don't feel it at all again if you so here's the point you accept your role as the passive husband and remove yourself from the situation, something will come and fill that in. Namely, Satan. Namely, his influences. The world, the flesh, whatever the, whatever the things. Evil will come and do that. If you accept that role, 
and do not stand under the authority of God and scripture, you will become the tyrant who treads all over his wife, who treads all over his kids, who has no respect, no integrity, no love. And so you have to accept that role and stand under the authority of God to do it well. You have to be able to do that so that you can say to Eve, step back from that. Step back from that. We have everything we need. We have everything we need. God has given us this whole bit of paradise to be content in, to be thankful for. We don't need that over there. But you see, you have to be, you have to know God. You have to have that relationship with him to have that wisdom. They didn't need to be more like God, gentlemen. They were already like him. Everything, let me, let me say this. Everything that God, God has brought you and your wife together. Everything that God wants you all to do, he has given you the ability and the gifting to do so as a couple. He's given you that already. Now, do you have to work and exercise those things? Of course you do. Of course you do. Do you have to work through personal problems with each other? Of course you do. But what God has put together, let no man separate. Let no Satan separate. You have to lead your wife in this way. Because if you don't, sin is crouching at your door, gentlemen. We, 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 me and you, man, we, we wrestle with that same temptation that Adam had. That, you know, that passivity. The passivity's mine. I, I'll, I'll give that. The tyrant's not really my thing, although, you know, I, I, I would say being passive is being a, a, somewhat of a tyrant. But, you, you know, the attitude, oh, it's fine. She's smart. She'll figure it out. You know, when your wife tries to come to you with a decision asking you, honey, what about this? He's like, ah, you know, whatever you want. You know, she, you're fine. You got it. You're smart. There's no need to do family prayer devotion with her. She, she's got it. She goes to church. She gets it. No, no, no reason for that. No reason to change the channel on what we're watching. We're grown. I mean, what's the point? If we do this, let me say this. If we do this, we lie. We lie. Jesus Christ does not leave his church unled. We say to other people, when we are not invested in the leadership role of our homes, that God's design isn't true. It isn't good. It isn't worth abiding in. We'll just do this our own way. We'll be like God. Don't fall for it, bros. Don't fall for it. Not for one second. There is much more at stake when you and I approach our marriage like that. When we take a back seat or we take a tyrant seat, there is much more at stake than just uh, the day-to-day runnings of the house, then who does the dishes, then who cooks the dinners. There's a lot more at stake than that. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in that place apart from God for too long. I don't, I don't want to live in that tyrant space apart from God. I don't want to live in that passive space apart from God because I don't want to be left there to live in darkness, to live unfocused, unwised, unblessed. 
I want to live a good life and not materially, like not to have a lot of stuff, but I, I, I want to live a life that's a blessing to people. That's a blessing to my wife, that I'm pleasant to be around, that I'm respected, that I'm loved, that I, I experience love, that I give love. I want my wife to experience those things so that when her and I, you know, are nearing the end of our lives together or she's nearing the end of her sooner or however that works out. I want her to not be afraid of that. Why? Because I have done my best to show her the God that I serve, the God that we serve. So that she doesn't fear that and she's not holding on to this life with tight hands. That's the kind of stuff we need to be doing, gentlemen. And I hope that you'll join me in that. It's with that, I say thank you to Octave Studios for the music production of this podcast. And for you all, I say take care and build on.